Well, again, good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning in bed to call out the Word of God. And uh, I want to speak to you about something that I think hits every single person in this room right now, though. Um, we had, my family had just moved to a new city. Um, it was not here, but we had moved somewhere else. We, at that time, had four children. And as we went, uh, a couple of our kids were in school, a couple were not. Um, I tell you, that's a black one, kids. Isn't it cool when they go to school? You have all of your children in school, and all of a sudden it's like, freedom! Like, it's so good. Um, that's a side story. Um, so we're there, and um, my, one of my kids had such a difficult time initially because he shows up at school, and a lot of the kids just wouldn't even talk to him because he wasn't from there. And uh, so he really struggled with that. And, in fact, he was saying that some of them weren't being very nice. Now, being the father that I am, this is going to tell you a lot. I actually went to school the next day. And I went to lunch with all these kids. And I said, hey, let me tell you what will and will not happen. Right? Isn't that brilliant? <laughs> um, but my son was struggling because all of a sudden, right, there's loneliness setting in because he's not one of the people. And the one thing I have within my DNA, I'm very protective of the people that I love. Um, and so when I see someone walking through that loneliness, it really impacts you. I think we've all um, been in that place before where maybe we've experienced loneliness. We're the only ones sitting at the table by ourselves at lunch, or maybe you're the the lady who all of a sudden you find out that um, the three or four friends that you really thought you had, they're all at dinner, but you weren't invited to go to dinner with them. And you start to read into it, and you're like, why am I not there, and why isn't this happening, and why wasn't, why wasn't I at least invited, and I know that I have 83 babies, but and I don't have time, but I, you just want to be invited. And we have that loneliness that takes place. It's something that I'm seeing more and more and more. In fact, we know that loneliness impacts you. And what I want to show you real quick is um, this is article after article, the Wall Street Journal, UCLA, the National Health Institute, the National Institute on Aging. And I just started pulling and pulling more and more articles from the Mayo Clinic, everything else. And so I, I want you to see all of them because I want you to recognize. Um, I kept reading and reading and reading and reading. And what I recognize is they're all saying the exact same thing. You, you can always find one article to support whatever you want to say, right? You know what I'm talking about? I, I'm a pastor, right? What I'm saying is this is so many different ones, and they're all saying the same thing. And this is what we're learning is that loneliness is actually impacting more people than ever before. And I'm going to call out some stats. It might be fun for you to write them down because they're very, very accurate. Percentage of adults who are experiencing loneliness to a degree today that is leading to depression and anxiety. What's the percentage? 40%. 40%. And yet we know that what loneliness is doing is, is actually having a physical impact on your life. In fact, loneliness has such a physical impact on your life. Here's five boxes of cigarettes. I just want you to know that I was unwilling to go purchase them so nobody could see me, so I made my assistant do it. <laughs> and then she goes to the grocery store. They're like, did you know they don't sell cigarettes at the grocery store? I'm like, nope. Um, it only took me about eight minutes to figure out how to open up a pack of these. But um, 
I said, just find the cheapest ones you can. Um, and so, and, and if you are a smoker, what I'm telling you is you cannot have these afterwards. They're going to be ripped to shreds, all right? Um, but here's what it's doing. Loneliness is impacting you physically in such a way that it's the equivalent of smoking 15 to 20 cigarettes. 20, I've just learned, is in one pack um, a day. This is five days of loneliness. One, two, three, four, five. You're not even back the next weekend yet. Two thousand eight. Ten percent of people had a social media page. Two thousand eighteen. Just over eighty percent of people have a social media page. Wow. And yet loneliness has grown significantly. We know that as soon as you give your kid a cell phone, they're 400% more likely to see porn than one without. 400%. And what I'm finding with the way that we are engaging with other people and the social media and all these different things is that one of the struggles that we're having in life right now is that we're measuring contentment. We're measuring relationships in the wrong way. And one of the tests that they had with the Mayo Clinic and also with UCLA and also a participant with the National Health Institute of Aging is that in one test with over 300,000 participants, loneliness is impacting them to have a 30% increase of premature death. 30% increase of premature death. And it leads to greater depression. Another study shows that out of 181,000 adults found that loneliness was associated with a 32% increase of having a stroke and a 29% increase for heart disease. And what you find out is just because, like some of you know, just because you're around a lot of people doesn't mean that you're not lonely. Some of you right now are very lonely, and yet you're sitting around hundreds and hundreds of people in this very moment. And you go, wait a second, what's happening? One of the studies says this very thing, which is astonishing to me. Because if you look at millennials and Generation Z, all right, if you, if you look at both of these, um, I'm neither, by the way. I'm like Generation A. I'm just getting old. Millennials, though, which is ages 23 to 37, and Generation Z, which is 22 and down, they actually have greater loneliness than any other demographic. And yet they have 4,000 Facebook friends. And they have X number of people following them on Twitter or Snapchat or whatever it is. And yet there's greater loneliness. The percentages are even higher for them. In fact, of all these people, 54% of people today, of adults today, responded that no one actually knows them well. That's over half of people today. They say it's an epidemic that nobody's speaking about because nobody is wanting to change behavior. Why are we having so much of this? And you're going, Joel, I've always known you to just... Open up the Bible and you're going to preach that. What are we doing now? Why are you preaching about this? Here's the reason I'm preaching about it. I'm going to get the Bible. You know me well enough. But here's the thing. 
It is an epidemic, and there is loneliness that is existing, and yet here's what we're discovering is nobody's willing to do anything different with it. Nobody's willing to say, hey, you know what? You can't have the social media page, even though we know for a fact that it's going to more than triple the number of people who are having depression and anxiety because you are only seeing what you can't measure up to. That's what people post. In fact, they typically say that someone, and if I'm talking to you right now, I apologize. I'm just calling out numbers. The more someone posts, typically, unless it's for a job, the more loneliness they have because they're searching for it. They just want some type of connection in their life. Anything, anything would help. If you don't think it matters, um, even God spoke about loneliness from the very beginning. We know that in the very beginning of Genesis, he created. And yet, what's he say in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18? You'll be able to see it here. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. So he took the rib of the man and he made woman. We know what loneliness is doing to other people. And we're, uh, we're ignoring the impact on the society today. It continues to skyrocket. I think the problem with social media, by the way, just to let you know, and um, people are always telling me, you got to do more social media, and you got to do this, you got to do this, and I'm like, and I, I do very little with it. I, I do what I think I need to because I do want to have influence on others, yes, but I'm very cautious about what anything, anything that goes out with my name on it. One is going to be encouraging, one is going to be pushing people toward Jesus. But one of the things that we are learning is that social media is actually the illusion of companionship. It's the illusion, I heard a friend say, that it was an illusion of companionship without the demands of a relationship. Why? Because you can just defriend someone. Click, done. I didn't like what they posted. They're done. That's not a relationship. And so now our marriages are reflecting that. They did something I don't like, done. There's no engagement. There's no conversation to say, can we figure this out together? Let's stand together. Let's fight with each other and figure this out. And we don't see that happening anymore. Mother Teresa, before she passed years ago, um, I remember this quote so well. She said that the most devastating disease is not leprosy or cancer, but loneliness. And what we're learning is it literally, physically impacts you greater than either of those. That loneliness is a stimulant for anything that may be already wrong with you even to expedite what's taking place. So this is why I'm talking with you about it is because we're measuring our relationships by the number of connections rather than a commitment. That's what we're doing rather than commitment. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, loneliness is best battled through commitment to Jesus and to his church. Life is best lived by commitment to Jesus and to his church. One of the ways that I see this playing out, I want to hit this for you real quick. Um, if you would, just scribble down whatever is not already on the worship guide there. Um, I want to hit uh, Acts chapter 17 with you, and then we're going to hit 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and chapter 2. Acts chapter 17, and we're going to hit 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and chapter 2. I'm going to go quick. I know that I'm going to go quick, but if you would, just pay attention to this. I, I want to just help you understand what's taking place in Acts chapter 17 and the first several verses. 
Paul is stopping. He's on a second missionary journey. He had three primary journeys that we know about. He's on a second missionary journey in Acts chapter 17. He's going to Thessalonica. He gets to Thessalonica, which is, ends up being more and more of a prominent place for the Roman Empire. But he goes there, and very quickly he starts proclaiming Jesus Christ. That's why he's on what? The missionary journey. And so there he is, and he's telling everybody about Jesus. And people who were once hating each other and disliking each other, they're all coming to know Jesus, and now they're starting to live excuse me, to live life together, and they're having this amazing opportunity in Acts chapter 17. And many people are starting to believe, and it's exciting. And you're going, wow, this is fantastic. He says he goes there in verse 2, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. Now he's doing this, all, uh, when he's doing this in Thessalonica, yes, there are Jews present, there are Gentiles present, people believing all different things, and he's just declaring straightforward, this is what it is. And you know what they do? They respond. And they say, Wow. And these people are coming to know Jesus, and they're beginning to proclaim him. But there were some Jews there, some leaders who didn't like what he was doing, because to them he was causing a disturbance, because that meant they were no longer going to be under their control, and all these things were unfolding before them. And so a mob gathers, and they send out this mob to find him. At the time, he was staying at this guy's house by the name of Jason. So they send people to Jason's house, and they're like, where's Paul? We, we need to take care of a situation here. And so they all go out because it tells us in verse 5, the Jews, it says the Jews were jealous. They formed a mob. They set the city in uproar, attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Well, they couldn't find Paul. And so they took Jason and they took his family and they drug them out. Shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. I love that phraseology, by the way. I love the fact that those who are in denial of who Christ is, they are calling out these very words. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Um, I'm in full agreement. Jesus turned the world upside down. Full agreement on that. We have something in common there. And so they call this out. They say, he's against Caesar, right? The people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. They eventually let Jason go and his friends. And they say, if he comes back, we'll get him then. Well, what they do is they automatically, they're already in such a tight community with each other as believers of Jesus Christ. Paul, they help Paul sneak out in the middle of the night. They say, we need, we need to help this guy. Well, what that leads to is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and chapter 2. Told you I was going to jump over. Um, Paul has to leave. I don't think Paul at this time is ready to leave, but he has to leave in order to save his life so he can continue preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he's having to get out of, down, of town as quickly as possible. And so he addresses some of this later on in 1 Thessalonians when he's writing back to them. 
And what we're going to learn from some of the writings back to Thessalonica is we're going to learn what it is to live in community with each other, to live in commitment to each other. If you want to battle the loneliness, if you want to, ba- if you want to battle the depression, if you want to battle the anxiety, one of the things I'm not going to say is, oh, I just pray to receive Jesus Christ and that's all you need to do. Yes, is that crucial? You've got to. But God said, I have ordained the church. He has called for us to live in community together. And very few people are wanting to live in community and commitment. They just want to see how many friends they can have on social media. And what I'm going to tell you today is if you're willing, if you really want to understand the epidemic that's going on today, and if you want to know one of the greatest ways that you can battle that is you're going to learn very quickly of the commitment of the community of the local church, and God actually intends for you to have that so that you can know what it is to have a fulfilled life. But it requires, guys, I'm just telling you, it requires commitment. It requires commitment. One of the reasons, I read this in the Atlanta Journal and Constitution, one of the reasons, that's down there. I looked it up because of uh, football in the southeast is just greater, as you all know. And as I was looking at that, I was just saying, like, are you there? I'm just saying, if you're there, I'm kidding around. Um, greatest reason that college football is so big is because of what? Community. People dress their infants from the time they leave the hospital. I'm not even saying it's wrong. I'm simply saying it's community. Who are you for? What team do you pull for? We were talking to a guy the other day. First things first, who do you pull for? Right? You, you want to know these things. And it's community. That's what it's doing. And so as we look at this, this is what we learn about this community and this commitment. Paul is writing to these people in Thessalonica knowing, knowing the power of it. And this is what he says. I'm going to run through some of the language in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and then I'm going to get to the end of chapter 2. So as I go through chapter 1, just try to follow along the very best that you can. It's a very short chapter, but this this is what he calls that. He's like, grace and peace to you. Verse 2, we give thanks to God always for for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. So because of the commitment, the relationship they had with each other, what's he always doing for these people? Praying for them. One of the ways that you know that you live in community and commitment to each other is you pray for your brothers and your sisters. I love the fact I have so many amazing brothers and sisters here. And literally, I drive by people's houses. And, and I, when I know that I'm driving by a friend's house, I just start praying for them. It can be anybody. It can, it can be a, a, one of our elders, one of our staff members. And I'm so close to them and I love them so much. I'll drive by and I'm like, God, just please bless Jim or please be with Fred or be with, you know, and watch over their family, protect them, give them wisdom today, give them discernment today. It's just a short prayer and I keep going. And so it says, they're already calling each other out in prayer. He says, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness. If you really want to be in community get together, if you really want to have that type of commitment, it takes work. And what people will say is, well, I mean, I wanted to be in community, but I never got in community there because I didn't see such and such communicated well enough. Call the office. We'll help you. Are we going to get everything right? We're not. But guess what? We will fight with you. 
And we will live life with you and be in community with you. And it takes work. And we know that any healthy relationship takes work from one, not one side, but from how many sides? Two sides. We already know this. Because of your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness, of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, they have that in common. That your brothers, that are loved by God, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. It's beautiful. It says that you became, in verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. It was hard, but you were willing. This is what community and commitment does to one another. You're willing to live and to walk through the hard. And so you became examples to all the believers in Macedonia. You know, that's the, that was the territory at the time. Saying, you became a believer to all of them. An example. In verse 17 of chapter 2, he says the following. He says, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart. Right? Listen. We were torn away from you. I, I had to leave too early. My life was being threatened. I was loving living in that community and commitment with you and speaking about Jesus. But I was torn away from you. Yes, in person, but not in my heart. I've been praying for you. He just said in the beginning of chapter 1, I've been praying for you continuously because that's what you do when you live in community with each other. We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown or boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. You see, the people of God, what you're recognizing here very, very quickly is you're recognizing that the people of God have this beautiful common ground that they stand on together that connects them. We have a connection based on the commitment we're willing to have with others. Your connection is often dependent upon your commitment. Now, that's not your notes, but that's something I wish I would have thought about two days ago. Commitment is often determined by your... I said that wrong. Connection is determined by your commitment. you got to process that. Truly, the, the less commitment you have to something, the less connection you have to something. And so you have to ask yourself, what are you connecting to? And we're connecting to all types of things today, but we know it's not working because there's no substance. There's no relationship that's being developed. I can call scary stats out to you. You just have to, you're going to have to make some decisions, I think, after today. I can call crazy more stats out about what social media is doing and the, the loneliness that is an epidemic today and what cell phones are doing to people, all types of things. And here's what people are doing. They're doing nothing about it. They're going, well, just be careful. It's leading in those same groups that I called out before, Gen Z and millennials, a greater suicide rate than ever before. And yet we're still handing them the phone like it's a revolver with one bullet, hoping that the bullet's not in the chamber. What are we doing? And we give it to them because then if they don't have it, they don't feel connected to their friends, but we know they're not real relationships anyway. And so we're challenged by that. 
Loneliness is best battled through commitment to Jesus and to his church. It's one of the reasons I'm so excited to be here. Listen, uh, I've been here. Um, it's been a joy for me to be here for five years. And um, then this last summer, of course, you know that I was able to take a, a little bit of time away a few weeks. And it was awesome to be able to do. But I'll tell you right now, my wife and I are in. Like, you just need to know, like, we're ready to lead a charge through Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit in this place to champion a movement throughout not only West Michigan, but if so, be desired the world because Jesus Christ is worth it. Because we can't believe we get to live in this community with you. We can't believe that we get to be committed to the same God together, the same Savior. And some of you are going, well, um, Joel, this is kind of intense. This is my first week here. And all of a sudden, you're like, man, i got to give everything. Yes, that's what surrender to Jesus is. It's not 1%, 5%, 10%. It's everything. And so you have to ask yourself if that's what you're committed to. Commitment, healthy community, please know this. Commitment, healthy community is marked by this. Write it in. It's marked by intentional effort. That's what you see from Paul with the Thessalonians. It's what you see time and time again. Healthy commitment and community is marked by intentional effort. You work for it. You work to have that with others. The Bible teaches that commitment of our lives is to God himself. And immediately I, already, I, I always think about the greatest commandment. You want to talk about commitment. Here's commitment. This is what Jesus says. The greatest commandment. This is what your life should be reflecting. Matthew 22, 37 and 38. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest commandment. This is what it's about. That's commitment. That's dedication to Christ. Jesus is telling us that if you want to battle the sinfulness of despair and loneliness and hostility that comes and the depression and the anxiety that comes in a fallen world, and that's what we live in is a fallen world. We're sinners. We want, we want to claim everything for self, and we don't want to give anything glory to God. That's called sin. And as a response to that, if you really want to combat it, it means you give every single part of your Energy and lives to Jesus. Every fiber of our being, every facet of our lives is to be committed, committed to loving and serving God. Nothing is to be held back. Why? Because John 3.16, we already know what he did for us. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him, he shall not perish. He shall not die, but he shall have everlasting life. That commitment impacts everything. It certainly lays it out, and I don't have time to preach all through Luke chapter 14, 25 and following, but Luke chapter 14, 25 and following is the cost of discipleship. It's saying, hey, this is what the demands of commitment are. The demands of commitment are this. You'll even abandon, you will even step away, right? Even hate your own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple, what it's saying is, it's saying to just walk away from your family? No, but what he's saying is you better make sure that Jesus has first priority. And if anything is pulling you away from Jesus, you need to walk away from that. And you have to have that commitment toward Jesus. So many articles today, it speaks about the weakening of the fabric of the church. And they're talking about why. Why? 
why aren't people, and they're not saying it this way, but here's what the question, why aren't people having cookouts in the parking lot so eager to get into worship? I might do that next week. (laughs) Why aren't they doing that? Commitment to the church is simply determined by your commitment and devotion to Jesus. And if you have a low view of what he did for you, you will have a low commitment to who he is. Here's another thing it's leading to, and I just want to conclude with this. We know from Scripture it says that Satan is like a lion roaring around, right? Waiting to devour. Waiting to devour. Watch National Geographic or Animal Planet, any of whatever those stations are right now. Watch them. You can go online um, and say, um, type in lion. Um, on prey or something like that, and you're going to see this lion, and what do they do? Let's say you got a bunch of gazelles. You're all a bunch of gazelles right now, okay? I'll play the role of the lion. And then all of a sudden, this is what happens. Matt, I need you. Seriously, come here, buddy. You so should not sit over there by yourself. Um, um, he doesn't know I'm doing this. It's okay. Just come stand right here right now. So that the camera can see you. Thank you. That's a nice shirt, brother. Um, That's inappropriate unless it was his wife. (laughs) Um, So you just stay there. All of a sudden, he's a gazelle. Say, I'm a gazelle. gazelle. Okay, that's strange. So um, (laughs) here's Litz over here. And all of a sudden, um, this is Matt Litz. Say good morning, by the way. Um, Will you say good morning? Uh, That was horrible. Okay, so... He's over here, and what happens is you got a bunch of gazelle, and all of a sudden, this gazelle is a little bit weaker. And he, he steps away from the group, right? Which one of you does the lion pick off? And some of you right now feel like that you're being picked off. You're being preyed upon by Satan and by the enemy. And you're going, why? And what I'm asking you to do is examine not only your commitment to the church, but examine your commitment to Jesus. Because here's what Jesus did. He says, upon this rock I will build my church. He has ordained the church to grow the kingdom of God. And that means you need to examine your commitment to his body so that we can truly experience what it is to worship him, the king of kings. And too many of us, even if you have 875,000 people who like you on Facebook, we're walking in isolation. We're walking apart from what God has ordained. And the more you walk apart from what God has ordained, the more likely it is that you're going to be picked off by Satan. And then you're going to yell at God and God's going to go, but why did you walk away from my community? You're an amazing gazelle. Thank you. Don't clap. You can't clap for that. Oh, my goodness. I say Jesus is Lord, and you go, huh? And I say, oh, my goodness. A few challenges for you as we conclude. 
Here's what I'm asking of you. Will you please examine if you're truly committed to Jesus? Will you at least ask the question? Like go home and say, hey, what's your commitment to Jesus really look like? I threw out lots of verses there that really matter. I could go a lot more. Are you living out great commandment? Like heart, mind, soul, strength, all of it. Are you all into it? That's scripture. We don't base this determinant by what we think. We, we base it determined by what we already know, and that's the word of God, which is eternal. Second, are you committed to his church? Guys, um, I, I love being able to lead this congregation. It is so much fun for me. It is so much fun for me. I love it. But I'm asking you to examine your commitment to his church. God ordained it. Are you committed to Jesus fully? Are you committed to his church? That's why we so badly want you in a learning experience or in some kind of small group. You think we just wake up and go, hey, Let's see how much work we can do on things that don't matter. No. We go, what will help people? What will help change their lives and to support them and to walk alongside of them so that even when they're lying, they can see his head pop up. They have no fear because they recognize the community that they're in will stand with them and fight for them. It doesn't matter if physical illness comes. It doesn't matter if financial hardship comes. It doesn't matter if friends walk away from you. You would know that you have a community that says, we are there for you. It literally, the more in depth of a community you have, physically, read the articles, it actually serves as a protectant against disease and everything else. It's amazing. And so, will you consider joining a small group or one of these learning experiences? Will you take the opportunity to serve him? Some of you, maybe you're walking through the loneliness and you're walking through the hardship. We want to pray with you. We want to walk with you. And when you see the lion come around, we're inviting you to come here and we will fend them off together. That's church, amen? God, I thank you for these friends. I thank you that we get to be church together. And I don't know who, but here's the stats. Um, 40% of these people sitting in front of me right now, if we're the average, are, are experiencing loneliness and depression and anxiety and difficulty. I pray right now that you simply encourage their heart. Encourage their heart. And let them know that they have people who want to be church with them. And God, when that lion comes around, 
may he tremble because he recognizes the power of Jesus that is with us. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and worship him together.